Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for being here. Uh, this is the message for Sunday, October the 3rd, for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. My name is Melvin Gaines. Thanks for being here. We're going to go ahead and get started and get into this, what I think is a very important lesson and message that implores us to keep communicating with people who are really uh, searching for answers and truth. Uh, I believe that's what we're called to do. That's what's very important for us to do. So let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to speak your truth, to be able to hear your truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, hear your wisdom uh, as it's imparted to us. We thank you, Lord, for your strength. We thank you for giving us courage to speak indeed uh, during times like this when a lot of people just don't want to hear anything that has to do with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that the words spoken are not my words, but your words, that what was provided for the lesson is all coming from you. We pray, Lord, that you'll teach us, that you'll even admonish us at times where we need it, even give us correction. But, Lord, we know that you do so in love because you treat us like a child would be treated uh, by a parent. You love that child. You want what's best for that child. Lord, we pray that we take all of these things in the right way and that we hear what's being said. And we thank you for what you're doing to show that love to us as well, too, because of what happened with your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. We thank you. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A recent uh, communication that I had received... Uh, gives me a very stark reminder of the importance of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ and where it is possible taking the time to also disciple individuals who make the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord. I received about a week ago an email from someone who was writing to our church. It was not a formal greeting. It wasn't directed to anyone uh, in particular. Instead, it was more of a commentary that was embedded with questions. I'm not providing the sender's email address, just the text of the email, and it gets right to the point. And this is what the email said. Why should I believe in your version of Christianity over the thousands of others that exist? Because the Bible says so, your opponents will say the same thing. The Bible can be used to justify almost, if not all, interpretations and versions of Christianity. Every Christian believes that they're right. God is on their side. God written, by the way, with a small letter G. And if you don't adhere to their interpretation, the punishment is to burn in hell forever. Christians everywhere are all pointing fingers at each other, threatening one another, with the prospect of burning in hell forever. That being the case, why should any of us take the Bible and Christianity seriously? Now, when I determined, and I determined this but just by st stopping for a moment and praying about it, because I was pretty busy at the time. There was a lot going on. And when I determined that it wasn't a spam letter, or, but just a general complaint about Christianity coming from a real person, I mulled over this, I stopped what I was doing, I prayed about it, and then I submitted a response. It didn't matter who the person was, 
but I felt it was important to attempt to answer the letter by addressing all of the writer's points. This message is going to address some very important points that we'll need to see about how our role as believers in Jesus Christ and how to communicate God's truth is very, very important. It is all about the gospel. It's all about the good news. It's about Jesus Christ as Savior. Going further, we are also to ensure that people who are new or maturing in their faith receive not just our words of encouragement, but helpful words. Helpful words that drive them back to the Word of God. It is the Word of God, coupled with the teaching and assistance of the Holy Spirit, that pushes aside one's doubts, their fears, and it moves them closer to the love of Jesus Christ. And what we don't encounter very often when there is opposition to Christianity are ideas that are well thought out. The letter writer here that I just dictated has an impression of Christianity clearly that is largely negative, and it comes from what I can only interpret as negative imagery of a church and the behaviors of those who use the Bible as a tool for justifying certain behaviors. I'm going to point out something that is not a new thing for those who believe they were on the right side of history. And it even may rankle the feathers of some people, honestly. But there was a time when a number of Southern Baptists would tout the word as being very important and also condone the practice of slavery in America. It wasn't that long ago when that happened. For many of us, we remember how the cult of the people's temple used the Bible, albeit incorrectly, and Jim Jones using his charisma to promote a church that had tremendous influence in Indianapolis at first, and then it moved out to California and did more of the same, and before it finally headed off to its fateful end in Georgetown, Guyana. What many people don't know is that, was that Jim Jones was a Marxist who desired to infiltrate the church. Many people followed the charismatic Jones and believed in him under the pretense that he was a qualified minister of the gospel. Now, both of these groups that I've referred to here were operating under the umbrella of Christianity, Christian churches. I don't think it's a stretch to see how someone can conclude that there are so many things that dissuade people from pursuing a church, or even the idea of being in a church. A number of us have people that we know very well who are not inclined to go to a church. They don't want to get into a church fellowship. Many of us know who these people really are. Well, let's start with something very important here, some very important truths with the knowledge that believers are called by Jesus to go into the world and preach the gospel. And of course, you're going to be preaching the gospel to all kinds of people, people who may want to hear it and people who may not want to hear it. But let's start with the first truth. Number one, we are in a fallen world. Amen? We're in a fallen world. That is where we live. That is where we are. That is where we work, play, eat. We're in a fallen world. 
Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 17 through 19. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now I'll be reading this from the New Living Translation. But we need to understand the kind of world we live in because of what happened way back when, uh, at the very moment when uh, there was sin that took place against God by being disobedient. Um, there were fleshly desires involved in that. And so here were one of the consequences we need to see because we're in a fallen world. Starting at verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3. And to the man who is Adam, he, God, said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it, Verse 18, it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. And then verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were opened. If you remember that in the passage earlier, they're opened to the reality that their world of paradise was forever changed. It was no longer paradise. This world, subject to man's sinful nature and degradation, requires intercession from God, who knew before man was created that we would need a Savior. Another truth, point number two. Our words can provide comfort and encouragement, but they can't save anyone. Let me read that again. Our words can provide comfort and encouragement, but they can't save anyone. Now turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, or part Romans chapter 10, excuse me. Romans 10. We're going to look at the second part of verse 8 and go to verse 10. Romans 10, I'll call it 8b, the second part of verse 8. To verse 10. And it says, The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, notice that the message here, these words are very encouraging indeed, right? And they speak truth about what's necessary for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they have to be met on the other side with faith and believing the truth of the power of salvation provided by Jesus. The words are meant to be encouraging. The words are meant to be uplifting. But salvation only takes place when a person believes. Point number three. The Holy Spirit, this is another truth, the Holy Spirit must be the closer. The closer. Now that's sales terminology. You have a, uh, a person who is going to sell to someone and they have uh, uh, maybe a life insurance policy, whatever it is, but there are going to be words and phrases used by the salesman 
to try to close the sale, to close it to actually get the person to sign on the dotted line and complete a sale. Well, the Holy Spirit is our closer. He is the one who can make it very attractive for a person, appealing for them to have that faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's look at that more closely. Go to John 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26. Now, this is from the New American Standard Bible Version, just because I, I like the way it represented what was being said here. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit teaches. The Spirit provides information. The Spirit gives us more to work with than what we had before. The Holy Spirit's teachings are very important because they provide all things necessary for you to believe in Jesus Christ from the first moment when you acknowledged Jesus as Lord, and he keeps teaching. He continues to teach us. He gives us words that remind us of truth, and they, those words are guiding us. Those words move us forward as we live lives of service and obedience to Jesus and his will. These three truths that I just mentioned to you require all believers to, one, have the hearts and minds to pray for God to intercede, and two, compel a non-believer to make their own choice as to believing in Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. The one who intercedes is none other than the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the closer who taps a person to make the choice within the climactic moment, and it is a moment of climax, that moment when that person makes the decision to accept and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord for life. That's a climactic moment, and the Holy Spirit is all part of that. But it still remains the choice of the hearer to believe or not believe. And for this reason, we're to remain in prayer for everyone that comes to mind who does not know Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll talk more about that later. Notice here, if you recall the words from the email that I just read earlier, the writer of the email already has a negative impression of Christianity and framed his complaints because of the observation, the perception the behaviors of the Christians that he was referring to. It's all based upon observation. That's exactly what's going on here. So let's look closer at the complaints and prayerfully address those complaints in love. Because that's what you're going to wind up doing when you're communicating with people about these things that you might encounter. Now, we're looking at a number of ways that we can respond to a person. And I'm going to try and give you some of that information here in how I responded to this, this person who wrote the email. And we would either be doing so verbally, perhaps we would be in letter form. It might be in writing if we've never had communication with them before. But any response has to be done with a couple of considerations. Number one, 
with prayerful consideration. You just don't snap off and just start writing or saying something. You give prayerful consideration. You're mindful that your words may be accepted or not accepted. That's the reality of it. The end result of all discussions and conversations are always to be left under the authority, teaching, and timing of the Holy Spirit. And I say this because you you know of examples like this where people have been witnessed to and spoken to about Jesus all their lives. And ultimately, it comes down to the Spirit tapping that person and saying, okay, you need to give this serious consideration. Look at your life right now. Look what's going on in your life. What's happening? And I, I dare say maybe even the last year, year and a half, a lot of people were encountering that very issue with the Holy Spirit and making that decision to say, you know what, it's time. There's so much happening right now. Things are so turned upside down. Maybe now is the time for me to trust in Jesus Christ because I can't trust in man. I can't trust in other people. I can't trust in circumstances. I have to give it to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to bore you with my entire response to the email writer, but I'm going to give you highlights as a way to help move you to the understanding that any response to one's questions that you or I provide remain truthful while being non-confrontational. You don't want to be in a confrontation with anybody. That's not the way we want to do anything when it comes to being believers in Jesus Christ. We don't want to give a negative impression. Not everyone that you speak to, and that includes people who proclaim themselves to be believers, are going to necessarily be sincere in their communication with you. You have to get past that. Just put that aside. All that you need to do is respond to anyone that you talk to with grace and with humility. And in any encounter, always stand for truth. You don't need to change the truth. You don't need to bend or shape it in such a way where you think the person might have greater understanding. Nope. The truth is the truth. Stand on the truth and deliver it and give it. Leave it where it is, but leave your feelings out of it. Jesus describes how he instructed his disciples to respond when they encountered opposition. Take a look, please, at Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. Matthew 10, verses 11 through 14. And this is a great indicator of what was very true back then when Jesus gave these words and delivered it to them. And I'll explain where it, where it comes from and how we should behave also in a, in a similar manner. Not exactly like this, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain in a moment. Matthew 10, verses 11 through 14. New Living Translation, verse 11. When you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person... And stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. Verse 14. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. Now, what Jesus is stating here refers to what Jews would do according to their behavior around this time. And they would literally shake the dust off their feet 
to disassociate themselves with the unbelieving Gentiles and show, frankly, publicly, their utter disdain for their practices. Now, when he mentions the same thing to the disciples as they were visiting Jewish towns, this would reflect how disciples should act when they encountered Jews rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. So the Jews were very familiar with the gesture of shaking the dust off the feet. But now here come the disciples coming to their towns and speaking the truth about Jesus Christ. And if they were rejected, the disciples would shake the dust off their feet as a public example to show the Jews exactly what that meant. It was a harsh but definitive gesture. It showed that those Jews who rejected Christ were making the wrong decision. The Jews were being shown that it was no longer about following the old law. Rather, it was all about making a choice to follow Jesus. That's what we need to see here. Remember that accepting Jesus Christ is all about making the right choice. It comes down to making the right decision. That was a teachable moment for the disciples to see too. I wouldn't expect anyone here, anyone listening here or looking at this, to say, I'm condoning shaking the dust off your feet after you receive negative feedback when you're witnessing or discipling people. Far be it for you to do something like that. Of course, your heart and mind, when you hear rejection, should be in prayer that the Holy Spirit will do what is necessary to have that person come around and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's what you should be doing. Pray about it. Now, for those who are looking at this and understanding what we're trying to get across here is that all it takes is for a person to just believe in Jesus as Lord. Just believe it. And many are so close and yet so far from doing so. Take a moment right now and consider who these people are that you know who are on the fence about their faith or are way out in left field somewhere, but they need to see the truth and the light about Jesus. You know what to do. Pray for them. And let's get back to the letter. I first addressed the comment about the different versions of Christianity. There are a lot of them. And they come in the form of what? Denominations. I checked once more, and I looked this up again, and I confirmed that the standing number of Christian congregations worldwide is still over 33,000. 33,000 different denominations. If you look at the long history of the church and the number of conflicts that have occurred over that time, it's not hard to see why there are 33,000 denominations. So your answer here is to acknowledge a very important truth. We are all sinners in a fallen world. The people of the church, even with the best of intentions, are imperfect. Romans 3.23 says it all. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So yes, we have all these different denominations. We have all these different ways of people gathering together and expressing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Now, in answering this writer of the email, I noted that it is not the church who provides justification for who's right in one's faith. It is an individual's choice as to what they are to believe. You know, keep in mind, there are many people in church and who have been going to church on a regular basis who still don't acknowledge Christ as Savior. That's on them. The teaching is in front of them, but they still have to make that choice. A person who attends church may say the church is sufficient, but it doesn't mean that Jesus is at the forefront. And what happens in churches, too? Personal agendas and church corporatism always get in the way. They always do. It Really, there is no exception to that. If you're concerned more about church polity, that's polity, P-O-L-I-T-Y, than the one who sits on the throne of grace, then you're really just more sensitive to your own flesh and you're more sensitive to your own sinful nature over the spirit. So that's what we need to understand here. The focus of the church must always reflect the will of Jesus Christ, his life on earth, and his deity. That's what churches should be focusing on. Now, when I read Romans 3.23, it brought something to mind, too, as I was doing research on this particular subject. I noted that the verses that follow Romans 3.23 can be used within your answer. If you're speaking to someone who needs reinforcement of what Jesus does for every believer. And and that's what's really important. Uh, so let's take a look at that. Let's go to Romans 3 and look at verses 24 through 26. And this is, again, to reinforce not just the information to perhaps a non-believer, but we've got a lot of believers out here that need to be discipled as well, too. And this is a good place to go. Go right back to where they started. But look at what it says in verses 24 through 26 of Romans chapter 3. Once again, this is the NLT version. Verse 24, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26, For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. What a powerful statement. We are completely dependent upon Jesus Christ for any semblance of righteousness before God. And it is all dependent upon his grace and sacrifice for us. Next, I addressed the writer's comments about the Bible. Well, what is the purpose of the Bible? That seemed to be a hang-up that he had. 
But it is one of the most important ways that God reveals himself. And to go even further, he reveals himself to those who choose to believe in him. The Bible has a number of different versions, and we know all the different versions out there. But essentially, it's the same message that is used by every mainstream Christian denomination. Whether they use King James Version or NIV, doesn't really matter. The message is the same. It doesn't justify any denomination over another denomination. And it certainly doesn't endorse one religion over another religion. The simple reason for this is that the words of Scripture reveal the importance of a believer's relationship with God, and more specifically, with that of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Relationship. Focus on the word relationship with these examples. The very first church in Acts, chapter 2, did not convey a religion or a denomination. You never see anything like that because it didn't exist back then. They were simply people who loved the Lord and wanted to follow him. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look at verses 42 through 47. The focus again is on the word relationship. Relationship. Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. Now, this will be from the English Standard Version. Please follow along. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The people gathered together and spent time in worship. They were being taught by the apostles. They prayed and they helped others who were in need. This is the prototype of the church that Jesus loves. This was not a religion. It was a relationship between the people and Jesus. It also reminds me of the church in Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, excuse me, the church of Philadelphia as described in Revelation. Take a look at Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. I had thought of this a while ago, and I, when I recalled it, and I said, you know what? If we're talking about the model church and what churches we should be looking to model, then, of course, the Acts chapter 2 church makes perfect sense. But also, let's take a look at what it says here about the church in Philadelphia. Verse 7, uh, this is also English Standard Version, Revelation 3, verses 7 through 11, starting at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, 
who shuts and no one opens. Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and not, are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now note that Jesus is referring to this church as the one with little power, but note that this church was a great church because he loved the people, he loved their faithfulness, he loved their steadfastness, and they were assured of having a covering or would not have to bear the hardship of the coming hour of trial. What a wonderful relationship to have with our Lord, to be given that assurance because you remain faithful. A small sidebar here. Small churches of people who love the Lord are mighty churches in his kingdom. Mighty churches. Something to think about given that we are gathering and enjoying fellowship in a small church. Think about God's love. Think about his goodness. Think about how he sustains us from moment to moment. He loves those who he has claimed for himself. He loves a faithful church. Stay faithful. Stay prayerful. Stand firm. The writer finally uses the phrase in his email, burn in hell forever, in quotes. Not once, but twice, by the way. And you have to understand that the idea of burning in hell is very off-putting to someone uh, because it looks like a harsh punishment that seems contrary to the concept of a loving God, because you'll hear that all the time. And I answered this in such a way where I think it's worthy of going in this direction here, because we need to understand that many people kind of think about this hell thing when we talk about God's final judgment. While hellfire is the consequence of a person who denies the Holy Spirit, denies the Lord, fails to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, the worst part of the whole situation is that a person, all of us, created by God, created in his image, the worst part of this is eternal separation from any fellowship with him. Eternal separation from your creator. That, in my opinion, is the most dreadful thing you would ever experience. Because it's one thing to look at the harsh punishment of hellfire, but it's much worse if you consider having eternal separation from God. And it gives pers a person a perspective to think about when they look at, is that what you really want? Finally, the writer asks, why should I take any of this Bible and Christianity seriously? 
Well, without being flippant in my answer, I humbly and respectfully state that it is your choice whether or not to take any of this seriously. Take all of it seriously. It's completely up to you. With that being said, your immediate response to a question like this is that you'll simply pray. The person may respond, I don't need your prayers. And you can say, I understand. I understand that as well. But God desires to have a wonderful and fulfilling relationship with you. And I want the same for you as well. Today, more than ever, we need to speak the truth. Not just speak up. We've, we've said that many times in the past that people just need to speak up. Well, speaking up is not necessarily the best thing, but speaking the truth certainly is. Speak the words of truth from the Holy Spirit. Speak and share with humility. Speak and share with empathy. Speak and share in love and with the heart and mind of Jesus. Be a witness for Jesus and be a disciple for Jesus. A lot of people out there need you. They really do. They need to hear the truth. And they need encouragement too. With the knowledge that we are to go forth and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that everyone within the sound of my voice takes their faith to the next level and speaks with the power and foundation of the Holy Spirit to those who need to hear his truth. Let's remain faithful as the very first church did. Let's live in the manner of the Church of Philadelphia. In these days and times, with Jesus on our side, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. The Holy Spirit will provide strength as you move along. Let's get after it and stay the course. Jesus is coming back very soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the words of truth that you provide through the Bible and through, frankly, the testimony of the affirming Holy Spirit. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your encouragement. We love your encouragement, Lord. We want it more and more. And we love the affirmation where we remain obedient to you, to your will that you've shown to us. Lord, help us to convey that to others, how important that really is. You really don't realize it until you experience it. And Lord, sometimes it's just a matter of just sharing the truth and telling a person who really doesn't know where to go, what have you got to lose? Jesus will take care of your life, the sin in your life. He'll forgive you. He loves you. We thank you for that truth, that Jesus truly does love us. He does not want to condemn us. 
His word says that in John 3.17. He wants the people to be saved through him. Thank you, Lord, for that truth as well. Help us to convey this to other people as we talk to them. Lord, send people our way that just truly do want to hear what your truth is. And we thank you for the lessons that come from that. Bless us and keep us, O Lord. We give you praise and thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. I hope this message really means something to you to encourage you to continue to speak the truth. Speak it and share it. We need more people out there who are saying things that need to be said. We don't need to hold back. And we know that it's not politically correct. But you know what? It's necessary. Because there are people out there that need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you next time.